Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Val McCarty is in the business of helping organizations visualize, communicate, and execute strategy in real time. Her studies were acquired at both University of Alberta and Grant McEwen University and encompassed management, education, and human services with an aim to continue learning. Her previous experience includes the financial sector, fitness sector, and early childhood education. When Val is not at work, you can find her outside with her grandkids or looking forward to the next live jam. Let's join Val for her conversation with Steve Krushelnitsky and Stan Leong. Take it away, Val. So, welcome listeners to another edition of Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast. The LIBI podcast is supported by Rainforest Alberta and showcases those who are contributing to and or supporting the innovation ecosystem in Alberta. Let me introduce myself. I'm Val McCarty, and I am in the business of empowering startups through friendships, knowledge, and opportunities. Um, getting your business wise, socialized, and getting your business funded. And today, I have two guests. I have Steve and Stan. And Steve, if you find him on LinkedIn, he's husband, father, leadership, digital software. He's relieving the stress of change. And Stan is the president and founder of Agile Ant Technologies, Inc. He's got 28 years of experience in many facets, particularly the energy services market. Welcome, Steve and Stan. Hello. Thank you. So tell our listeners a little bit about your beginnings. Sort of, I call it the what, why, and how of Steve and then Stan. So Steve, we'll have you go first. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Alberta. Started my career working like most of my friends, either university or, or in the rigs, I started in the rigs. And over the last 35 years, I've um, morphed that into getting into sales and then building a couple of businesses. And, and I've always been interested in the tech industry, not necessarily as a techie, but I like what technology does for people. And because I've had these a wide range of experiences, I've, I've seen myself as being that bridge between the tech person and the user and being able to um, be that. It's almost like they're talking two different languages. So I'm, I'm translator. I'm the translator for them. That's exactly what I just had in my mind. I thought, no, he's a translator. He goes from one world to the other. <laughs> yeah. And so then that's, that's how I got to where I'm at today. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of grown up in Southern Alberta as well. I was born in Lumpur in Malaysia, but we immigrated to Canada when I was very little young, young. And like I said, grew up in Southern Alberta, spent time up in Red Deer, Central Alberta as well. Like everyone else, time with the energy industry, energy services. And uh, my, my education and my background came through the sciences uh, in terms of chemistry and biology. So, you know, to stay in that world here in Southern Alberta, we had to look for opportunity in, you know, to apply those type of that type of knowledge in the oil field and it turned out to be surprisingly enough in the services world so i spent like i said time in red deer sylvan lake got married there came i had my first kid there came back to calgary 
and started with several other companies, including one where ultimately I worked my way uh, through the organization and became the CEO of that company and grew that from a small company to, I called it a, a giant small company. So yeah, that's kind of been my experience right up to when COVID hit. And then, so right now I'm just working with startups and just looking at being part of the the ecosystem with the startups here in Calgary, which is awesome. I've learned that there's a lot of energy here and that's why I love being part of this group. So let's get back, let's get to our questions for our listeners here. Did you always know that you would be supporting the business base you're supporting today? For me, I, what I what gets me excited is not so much technology, but watching how technology improves lives. So one of the problems, let's get right to the, the, the discussion here. One of the problems seen in the tech industry, especially the B2B, is that 70% of technology projects implemented fail do to meet to meet the customer's expectations how did you want to just sort of tackle that thought so yeah thank thank you you know it's it's a it's an interesting stat and 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 i and i think that, that there's a lot of room on both sides to like a, to what were what, what were the customer expectations but the, at the end of the day i think and stan you can agree to this i mean you lived this more than i did but i i see that customers often are, are get they're disappointed by their their integrations. They were promised one thing, and that those things never happened. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Actually, Steve and I were talking about this a few days ago, and that you know when when I decided that I needed help from ex, from someone outside the company to change our processes, it had nothing to do with technology. To be honest, it had nothing to do. I, that was the last thing on my mind. What was on my mind is that we had a crisis situation in our company where, you know, one situation was we had a new competitor come into our business that was more efficient than us. They were better priced than us. They were, they were, they were differentiated from us and they, are, and they were impacting a core critical uh, market of where we, where we were finding success. So as a customer, I would look at that and say, okay, you know, when I sit down with my with my executive, my board of directors, and we plan our strategy. We talk about how do we, how do we change our path to accommodate for this new crisis that we have, and and to do that, we would do we would be looking at our our objective was to expand our market, to change, to shift our to shift our focus to a different market that's related, but a different client base. So for us, it was about how do we how do we become more efficient at growing part of our business. That we were not strong at, I guess. Yeah, you know, and and so I have these interactions with customers or potential customers all the time, where they've they look at what we're building, and if you haven't had a chance, just I'm going to check out Mission X. It's the next generation of it's the evolution of of what workspace um, integration should look like or workspace technology. A lot of times, the thing that I'm I'm they, when they see the demo, they like it. They see where the value is. Then the next thing comes with like some other guy that was sitting in that chair promised me these things as well, and they didn't deliver. And so now it becomes my job to help them to overcome that, that challenge, the challenge of risk. And I think there's a lot of ways we can help with that. The one way, you can agree with me if you want, like is you need to, you need to have the, that open conversation and be real with your customer. And saying that, hey, listen, 
this is the the overall objective. Stan, you want to become more competitive in another market. Well, where are you spending time right now that that is that's that you could reallocate to be more competitive? Yeah. Where are you wasting that time? Yeah. And can we overcome that? Can we can we look at what we've built and see a way to overcome that? And then work at that together. So outline the goal. So when so when in I think that's a really good point is that I'm a, I'm a domain expert in in the places that I compete in. So as a as a domain expert, I have a I have a certain language that is that I use and that our that our market uses and I have certain metrics that I use to measure the success of our company. And so when when a vendor comes in and talks to me, they need to start talking in my domain language rather than rather than in whatever other in whatever technology domain they come from, they have to start speaking in words of, of for my world, it was manufacturing, inventory, uh, invested capital, warehousing, all those kind of things that are important. Cost of goods sold. Cost of goods sold, like uh, supply chain conversations. That's the language that I understand. And that's the language that I need to be communicated in for me to feel comfortable and saying, huh, yeah, maybe this will work. Or maybe what you're saying will work. Because as soon as, as soon as, that vendor goes to the space where they're telling me specifically about their technology and how their technology is different than the competitors. And they start using language that's outside what I'm comfortable with. Then that's when I lose my ability to, to make that connection in my mind. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because as a vendor, what we like to do is we like to jump in and say, Hey, look at this. It's got all these features and it's right. going to, it's got all this code and it does all this AI ML and all this black magic. Right. And, so and AI, I'm, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so AI is great, but what does that mean? Yeah. Well, it means for me, I need to be able to communicate in your in your world to saying, hey, when you do a project, for instance, how do you allocate all those resources? Mm-hmm. What, what are, what's the pain in that? Yeah. So for and, me, that would be like, you know, when's the last time you had a performance review where you had to give a crappy performance review and the, and the employee comes back to you and tells you that you haven't given me good enough direction of which way to go. Those yeah. that's, that's my real pain. It's yeah. not, it's not allocating time or AI or anything like that, right? That's the pain. So the challenge that leaders in these organizations face is that they need to find ways to be more efficient. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I see yeah. that every day. It's, it's always driven. Our, our decisions were always driven by some sort of crisis. Whether that be we have to become more efficient at this or that or, you know, or the bank wants their money now or something. It's, it's a crisis. <laughs> and go, going back to stats here, productivity stats are not great. Steve was telling me that the average worker is productive two of every five work days. And the cost of unproductive meetings in the U.S. is about $34 billion. So to be able to have that conversation where even at, from the beginning, where someone is explaining what the their tech stack can do for you, they even have to explain it in a way that's efficient. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, that, that's a good point because the issue is technology is like a $20 bill. You can't eat it and you can't wear it, but you can exchange it for things of value. And it's in that the user's hands um, or how the, cust- or the company integrates it to get, like you said, you said, we, we, we're making decisions based on, on crisis. Well, I've seen it lots of times that you're, you're making decisions, you got a crisis, and I can't get all the information. I don't have. So now I'm making a decision based upon 
not the full stack of data that I need, but even worse, maybe, maybe I'm making decisions based on no data at all yeah. because I need to make a decision now. And, and so it's actually worse than that. You make a decision based on what happened yesterday. If, if yesterday you had a bad, like a really heated conversation with that employee and you have his performance review the following day, that's a bad performance <laughs> right, review. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, so, so my, or even worse, what if you're making a decision on your competitive, you're like your competition in order to move and yeah. you don't have the full marketing nope. scope, right? That's right. That's even a more costly decision. Yeah. And so... So the technology can help with that. And and I'm sure in in the minds of the customers Steve when when you go out and say, you know, I have I have AI and ML algorithms and easy to use UI and UX design and open APIs and this poor customer is going, "What?" <laughs> so I I'm sure and in the back of their minds they remembered all the failed implementation of the past. You know what I mean? That's what's in their mind. They're not thinking APIs and algorithms and UI and UX. When Steve, sorry, and I was just, I mean, that, that brings up the conversation Steve and I had before as well, is that, you know, you always, we're always told that these changes, corporate, these very high level changes have to be driven from the top to the rest of the organization. But I'll tell you that, you know, that's partly true. The problem with that is that for me to say, okay, I'm going to drive this change. We're going to implement the CRM or whatever it is, the software we're going to implement throughout the organization. The problem with that is as soon as it gets beyond my ability to link the technology to the problems that everyone's actually facing, my ability to drive that through the organization is is going to be hampered just like anybody else trying to drive that thing through their organization. Yeah, it's an interesting... I remember I had a... Early in my career, I worked for a technology company and uh, we were in the oil and gas space doing gas flow measurement. And, and so we would, it would be a top-down decision and the, we find that there, were, there wasn't a lot of adoption. So I would drive, to the, I would drive into the, the field and go talk to the operators who inherently had a really big stake in using this. And what I found was they were scared that that technology was going to take their job. So then I started asking them questions about their day, about like, how many of you guys ever had to deal with a freeze up? And then typically what you do is you, you get up in the morning, it's minus 40, you go to look at the well and nothing's flowing at it and it's, it's, it's frozen. So you, so you spend two days with a steamer, steam truck or a pressure truck trying to break through that ice so you can get the well flowing again. It's a terrible job. Um, so then the question I asked me, so if you guys had an alarm, how many of you would have got up to like to take the the fluids off? They're like everyone like yeah I would I would have done it right so so I'd show them the application and I'd start showing them what it meant for them what was the technology going to do for their job right I rode around in the truck with them and started to showing them examples of how they could win and once they once they they could they could take the they could personalize that win and they could take that win and they could feel that this is going to make me better. All of a sudden, usage went up and you could see ROIs in the company just skyrocket. And so what that taught me was, is that there's in the organization with technology, everybody has, every there's every level, there's a stakeholder and every stakeholder has a, a reason for wanting that technology or there should be a reason to make their lives better. And once that, once they figure that out, the adoption goes skyrocketing. And so I think that there's a missed opportunity. I think if it's a top-down approach, I think we miss opportunities of getting people bought in 
to why they should use technology. That one thing, if we could do that as a, as a industry in, if we could just, instead of just building technology, selling technology and leaving, but really get into that point of spending just a little bit extra time with everybody in the organization that are going to touch it, I think that adoptions would go higher. And that 70% would go, would start maybe, maybe it's 70% success defined by the customer and the, the vendor, right? Yes. So you're basically creating real solutions for real problems with a new tool that might be new to them, and but it's solving that problem, their, their individual problem. And one, if I could just layer one more thing on top of that as well is, you know, the expectation is, you know, here's our problem. We're the only ones in the world that see this problem. Well, that's usually not true. And when, when your, let's say, technology provider comes in and says, we have this new alarm system for your wells, well, probably someone's experienced that before. And, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel right from the beginning. You can benefit from that uh, learnings from that one supplier that's worked with a bunch of different companies. And again, I think that's part of the acceleration of the changes is to make that faster. You, you learn what you don't even know faster than if you tried to reinvent the wheel yourself every time. Which, yeah. which, is, which is a good concept because I think what I see also is that I see larger organizations try to build their own solution, which never really, really go well either. So there you go. There you go. So creating great tech, creating real solutions for real problems. One of the the bullets here I just wanted to talk about was building the technology soundly so that it is even, it's it's relevant to that company for many years. Yeah, you know, I think what I so here's what I see is that the the one of the hurdles for new technology to come in is that we've got the incumbent. They they solve the problem and the issue that you have is that people are trying to solve new problems and new solu- the and create a new way of working with old solutions. <clears throat> and so if we are if we're really honest, like Peter Drucker says when the rate of change outside of an organization is greater than the rate of change inside an organization, the end is near. And with the with how much tech is being built, the change is faster and faster and faster. So the challenge is this for organizations is I gotta I gotta create a new way of working. Can I build technology that is can I can I choose technology that is built on new technology stacks and and then have a plan to reevaluate five to seven years and get good at, because that keeps you on the cutting edge. There's on both sides of that, there are, there's a, there's a point of diminishing returns, but you need to be thinking about that as a CIO. What is the new technology? What's, well, again, we'll use that AI ML that you like is like this black box, but what, what are, what are those algorithms doing differently than the competition? So basically, uh, you're, you're answering the question of, are we creating technology that solves today's problems by providing the least amount of change for the organization and their people, but also something that they can revisit in five years and say, okay, is this still working for us? Are we still leaders in our area? Yeah, for sure. Because again, from the from my perspective, from the customer's side, you know, we started working on, if we start working on a problem today, and we come up with our best best operating practices and our solutions today based on what 
the world looks like. In five years, there's going to be another competitor that just started up that's using the most recent fancy schmancy, whatever it is, and they're going to eat our luncheon in some certain areas. So we've got to, we're going to need to reevaluate the way that we do things again on our, on a regular basis. And I think in saying that, so if we as an industry with vendors, like software providers, so all the way from the developers, designers, the sales, customer success, and working with the customer, if we can get good at helping that change and the management of change faster and easier and creating with the idea, with the user in mind, what are they doing today? Can we make it, can we make tech that like, so it looks almost like what we're doing today, but has more value and more competitive and more, because that's what I, I see that this is, this is going to be a problem going forward. And Mission X here right now is a point in time where we're that new thing, right? We're the, we're the, we're the thing that can make you go further and reduce the, the work. But five, 10 years from now, what is that new company that's coming out of the gate that could be even better? You betcha, because the what the customer wants is going to change as well, right? Their expectations are going to change and you have to be able to meet their expectation. I love that frame of mind. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really sure. good. I'm just looking here at some more bullets we can talk about. Thank our listeners for one for keeping with us. So yeah, the, ch- the change is hard and people have to understand what's in it for them. You know, what's in it for me by the stakeholders and learn how they would win by using your product and then coach and guide them through that. I love this idea of reporting problems and changes, challenges early. Murphy often visits and we cannot anticipate every problem, roadblock or hurdle. And when issues come up, be transparent. So there needs to be a lot of trust, right? To be it for, for somebody to come up and say, you know what? We did A, B, C, and D, and it's still, you know, pushed us under the bus. What do we do now? I can give you, a, again, from, from a customer's perspective, if I've grown a company, you know, I've a super successful scaling company that's gone from a million bucks top line per year to, you know, $50 million in five years and, you know, we're really good at whatever we're, we're our widget that we're building. Anytime you introduce something to me that's going to create change is risk. And that risk is risking that, that hockey stick growth. It's risking that return on investment. It's risking the profitability. So one of the, one of the things as a CEO that you focus on is management of risk, whether that's risk of taking on a new client, risk of bringing on investors, risk of bringing on new technology. So, so yeah, so whenever you can manage that risk or help, help reduce that risk, that's, that's the thing that that's the thing that will create that motive to move ahead because that's, that's one of the things that is so front of mind all the time. Mm-hmm. So, so I also think here's the, here's the challenge is that we have an interaction. We look at the risk and I think what you do is you run through your risk maintenance matrix of saying, if we don't implement the solution, we have more risk than if we, if we do implement the solution, there's less risk than if we don't. So I become less competitive. I become whatever obsolete. And then we start working through the, okay, what is it that we want? What what do you want your work to look like? What are we achieving? What are those milestones? And a couple of things happen. One is you will inherently just say, yeah, I forgot about this. Mm -hmm. You know, can we do this as well? So then we get that, that scope creep. And I said, yeah, we can do that. That's no problem. We go, we, we work through that. 
we work through that solution and that doesn't happen exactly that we want to, or we're running, it's going to take a little longer or, or how do we communicate that? I think is how we build the trust. So are we open and transparent? Do I say, no, we can't do that. Or, you know what, we're going to put that, in, that's a great idea. Let's put it in, a, in the product development roadmap. And maybe we can do that Q1 of 2024, right? And so then, and then we're always having, we're always having these conversations around what's going well, what's not going well. What is your next need? Because inherently, I guarantee you, we'll show you what we're doing and somebody will want it. Just one little thing. Yeah. Is it worth doing it? Do I say yes or no? And and then do you feed do you give me feedback about your integration? How are things going? Oh, everybody's using this great. And then I go talk to your guys and you're like, this is the worst experience ever. Yeah. 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 That's never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it always happens. Absolutely. Yeah. The worst thing that to ruin trust is when the other party is not there when you need them. Whether that's me personally as whatever role I'm in, or yeah, I mean, like Steve said, if if there's something if I've if if there are blind spots and landmines that I'm gonna stumble across, if someone doesn't talk to me and uh, and I have a trusted team that's supposed to have told me this stuff and I stumble across the landmine anyways, the trust level goes way down. Yeah. Like way down. So. It, it's funny. So here's an experience we've had is so we're implementing our solution and and so we get the workflow process, the workflow process. We, de- we develop the, the, the product so that it will match that workflow. We start implementing it and going to the users and they tell us, that's not how we work. And so we bring that to the leaders of the company and they're like, they were, they were like, I did not know we had this many disparities around the way we get to our objectives, which is good. But it's sometimes, like you said, there's this blind spot because as a leader, you're you're focused on you're focused on the things that you need to, like driving the business forward. You're not doing the day to day of like, hey, how are you actually doing this? Mm-hmm. So so it was a very interesting experience. And then when I when we had the communication that built trust, yeah, because now I understood how what was going on and how we could how we can improve it. So allow people to work through they want to they wanted to, but in the back end have the same results. So there's similar results. I see my budget. I see my burn down. I know I can predict when I'm going to be out of, maybe I need more people or I'll run out of time. Like all those things that we do inherently in in our system comes out the same, but we allow you to work differently, which was a huge win for them. But that came out of, I'm thinking of this. We do it this way. We're not doing it that way. I'm surprised. And a conversation which built trust. Yes, exactly. That, that's just good leadership, right? That's just good leadership. Identify a leader who sees a vision uh, of a better future and has enough influence to make it happen. Not necessarily authority, but listens to the people that are actually doing the work and getting the job done. Sometimes that communication just doesn't come up to the leader. That's, that's great. Before we sort of, we're in the last section of our podcast here. Anything more that you guys would like to add? Steve here. So, I think the I I think the big thing that I would like to to focus on is that the technology isn't just about finding product market fit, about scaling, about growing. It's about user adoption. And user adoption in my mind is is the application doing the things that the user wanted. So Stan comes into me and says, I got this problem. Am I solving those problems? 
And I think that that those I like we're we're ninety five percent there as an industry. We just got to go five percent more, mm-hmm. and we could drive that user adoption and satisfaction higher. So that when the new guy comes around, he's like, "I'm not disappointed in my integration. It was good. That was a great experience." When people said talk about changing software, you, you don't have this anxiety, but you have this this hope that or this understanding that it's going to be better. My job's going to be better. It's innovation is a good thing, not a bad thing. And I think in our ecosystem, in like the rainforest in Alberta, we could actually differentiate ourselves by being those companies. And I would also add, I would also add to that too is, you know, maybe maybe there's a bit of a selection process for for you as a technology company too in dealing with organizations and customers who are not afraid of change, who are not afraid of, you know, for, for you to go talk to the operators, for the, you know, the bookkeepers, the, the field operations people, whoever you need to talk to, to understand the full scope of the issues. If you have a, if you have a, a customer that says, no, the only person you need to talk to is me and I will tell you everything and all the, all the feedback comes back through me and I'll implement it. I mean, I'll leave that up to you guys, but that would raise a red flag for me as a as someone that if if they're going to be one of my customers. Yes, I know that would almost be. Oh, there's the source of the problem right there. <laughs> no, I could see how this this the ideas and the leadership and everything we've talked about could definitely be an added value to the the rainforest ecosystem. And not only that, it, it's you you have been a part of the Calgary and area Alberta put it that way, solving problems. Yeah, let's just keep that going. If someone wanted to reach out to either one of you, what's the best way for them to find you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it an email? Is it a website? Hit me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I think LinkedIn works good for me too. Yeah. So give them your names that you use on LinkedIn, please. Steve Kruschelniski, K-R-U-S-H-E-L-N-I. S-K-I. Wonderful. And how about you, Stan? I'm just looking it up. I think it's Stan Leong. It's just my name. Yeah. L-E-O-N-G. L-E-O-N-G. Good, good, good. So that's fantastic. Thank you guys for having this chat. It's been wonderful. Um, I know it's going to be a benefit for anybody who listens to it. We had a really good conversation, which I think might lead to more conversations in the future. <laughs> yeah. What, one of the things I, I, that I tell people all the time is the reason why, another reason why I love kind of being in this ecosystem is that there's just, you just never know who you're going to talk to the next day. And, and, uh, and you always have these collisions of ideas and things always spin off of it. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from people if they have any questions or just don't even comment or or different perspectives, right? I think it'd be awesome. You betcha. Yeah. And that's great for our listeners that are listening. Of course, the, it's Alberta Rainforest. And if you really want to, they have a, something on Wednesdays for lunch. It's called Lunch Without Lunch. It's always around noon Alberta time. And yeah, it's a, a very good conversation with anything from 30 to 50, even more people. Um, virtual, they actually have some meetings that are a person to person as well and a mix of person to person virtual. So thank you guys so much for being a part of this podcast. It's been wonderful time being spent with you. Thanks for hosting Val. Thanks Val. If you haven't already visit rainforestab.ca and sign the rainforest social contract. 
Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. We build great custom software while bridging the gap between education and experience. New Idea Machine makes your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.